Welcome back. On today's episode, we have to talk about everything that's going on with Rust and Alec Baldwin. Charges have been dropped as to him. The movie has started filming again. The preliminary hearing has gotten bounced as to Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, and there is a lot to break down. And this got bounced from the news cycle real quick. I know there's a lot going on, but I still want to talk about what this means, what even is this, how this happens, and all the rest of it. So hopefully today we'll answer your questions. Thank you for making The Emily Show such a successful podcast. I appreciate you. Without further ado, it is time to get into today's episode. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. It finally feels like spring, and sometimes that makes me not just want to refresh myself and my house, but also my outdoor spaces. What I love about our sponsor, Fast Growing Trees, is you can find exactly the plants for your yard or your indoor spaces. I loved that I could search by low light plants because I don't get a lot of direct sun in my home. Great for filming for y'all, not great for most indoor plants. So it was really nice to be able to find things that could fit my space and were going to stay alive. It's a big concern for me, but also being able to find things that would fit for my outdoor spaces as we're looking at updating our landscaping and finding things native to Nashville that are going to thrive in our outdoor spaces. Nothing worse than finding a plant that you love only to have it not thrive in your environment. Fast Growing Trees also has a 30-day alive and thrive guarantee so that you get plants that are great and fresh right out of the box and are going to make it. Join over 1.5 million Fast Growing Trees customers. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash now to get 15% off. That's right, 15% off your entire order at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Let me know what you find to bring a little life into your space. All right, let's get back to today's show. Of course, the day I go to get a haircut, all of this news starts breaking and I am like, I am at the salon. <laughs> it is time for a hair refresh. But no, but no, prosecutors had to make a statement that they were dropping charges against Alec Baldwin. And if you're like, which prosecutors and what's happening anyway, I'm going to do a little bit of a road so far on the criminal prosecution. I have linked playlists down below. We have multiple, multiple episodes covering not just the criminal side of this case, but the civil sides. I've also covered the findings from the New Mexico um, State Occupational Health and Safety. That was a scathing, scathing report, if you will remember. So all of that is listed for you down below. Today, we're just going through the criminal case and there are some statements that relate to the civil case that I will cover too. As to the criminal case, Alec Baldwin and Hannah Gutierrez-Reed and Dave Halls were criminally charged for the fatal shooting of Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust. Dave Halls recently pled guilty to six months of unsupervised probation 
a six-month suspended sentence. He pled to a misdemeanor for negligent handling of a weapon. And a very specific and stated on the record part of his plea was to testify in any proceedings that may come up. What's interesting is with this being dropped against Baldwin and Hall's only being on probation for six months, how easy will it be for them to pull him in if this gets filed somewhere down the road and they want him to testify against Baldwin? Things that are on my mind about this. But Dave Hall's has already pled. We know that charges are still moving forward against Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the armorer, but charges had been have been dropped as to Baldwin and we're going to find out why. I'm going to pull up the actual court document in just a moment. But we're also going to talk about Rust resuming filming in Montana and the problems that that poses to everyone. Because I I am still shocked. Like, I'm shocked that it's the end of April. But like on another level of shock, how is this movie taking place? It just feels really weird to me. Do you want to watch this movie? Is is anyone interested in seeing this movie after knowing everything that's gone on here? I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not interested in it being finished. I'm not interested in seeing it. That's just my personal feelings. It all feels very heavy and dark. and, And I just don't feel right about this movie still being made. But it's not my decision. And... The widow of Helena Hutchins has come on as a producer of the film. So presumably money from this film should somewhat be going to Helena Hutchins' family. I just don't know if that was the only way to accomplish that. But what do I know? I would love to know your thoughts. Agree, disagree, please. Let's have a discussion about this in the comments because I'm having a hard time seeing the other side of making this film unless it's just a sunk cost fallacy and they've put so much into it, there's no way round except to finish out the filming. And that's the only way people get paid in the lawsuits. But I can't imagine that that's the case. So let's talk about this um, declining to continue prosecution, the nole prosecui of it all. I know it just, it's all gotta be Latin, right? Let's talk about the charges getting dropped against Alec Baldwin. All right, this was filed on April 21st. I'm going to make a side note about that in just a minute. State of New Mexico versus Alexander Ray Baldwin III. Nole prosequi comes now the state of New Mexico by and through special prosecutors Carrie T. Morrissey and Jason J. Lewis and enters a nolo prosequi in the above numbered and styled cause as new facts were revealed that demand further investigation and forensic analysis, which cannot be completed before the May 3rd preliminary hearing. This case is dismissed without prejudice, and the investigation is active and ongoing. We learn a couple things in this NOLO prosequi filing, and again, that is an unable to proceed, but the direct translation would be something along the lines of, we shall no longer prosecute. It was like, we shall no longer be prosecuting this. But that's not really accurate because it's more of a, we are unable to proceed at this time because they have made clear in this that the investigation is active and ongoing. I think these prosecutors intend to recharge Baldwin with these charges at some point down the road, or at least that's the intent now. But they couldn't get it done before the May 3rd preliminary hearing. And my first thought was, 
well, is the preliminary hearing against Hannah Gutierrez-Reed going to be going forward at that time? And the answer is no. The preliminary hearing against Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the armorer, is going forward at the beginning of August, August 9th. So we will be seeing that preliminary hearing then, not now. So if I'm Gutierrez-Reed's lawyers, I'm wondering when they decided to waive time for the prelim or if they should have just pushed the prelim too and said, I'm not waiving time for it. You filed the charges. You have 60 days to bring the preliminary hearing. Tick tock. You don't stop. Let's go. That's not what they did. They waived time to August 9th. They know this prosecution is going to go forward as to Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. But what what further investigation and forensic analysis needs to be done that doesn't go to both parties? What could there possibly be that goes to Hannah Gutierrez-Reed that does not go to Baldwin? Because both of them are in a very similar boat here. She was the one in charge of this weapon. He's the one holding the weapon. But the fact patterns from at least everything I've covered seem fairly intertwined unless it is more of an issue about the gun. And with Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, they're really going to focus on her responsibility to load the gun, check the gun, and the fact that she didn't do that. And the functionality of the gun is not really the core of their case as to her. That's really all I can come up with. But what does this mean with regard to Baldwin? It means that he is not being prosecuted at the moment and they can prosecute him later. Generally, when you do a dismiss and refile like this, if they choose to refile, you only get the one dismissal. So they couldn't do this again. If they file it again and then have to dismiss it, then it would be with prejudice and it would be done. Without prejudice means that they can still bring the action again. And I'm sure they've had conversations with Baldwin's attorneys about what their intentions are. And we're going to look at a statement from Baldwin's attorneys in just a minute. The thing that's so confusing to me is, A, this was released to the media the day before this was actually filed in court. Why has this prosecution team, all of them, these new special prosecutors, the former special prosecutor, the elected DA of the first district, why do they all talk first, file second? It's so confusing to me. File first, talk second. But no, on 420 is when this information started to come out. And then they finally filed it on 421. But it was Baldwin's attorneys that was making headlines saying that they are going to be dropping the charges. And we saw all of the headlines with Baldwin charges dropped and Baldwin slips um, criminal prosecution and all the rest of it. The statement given to Law 360 by Baldwin's lawyers from Quinn Emanuel were, quote, we are pleased with the decision to dismiss the case against Alec Baldwin, and we encourage a proper investigation into the facts and circumstances of this tragic accident. They had over a year before they filed this case. A year. And they asked for hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring on special prosecutors to prosecute up to four people, including Alec Baldwin. They made multiple press releases about it. And then they file it and they add in a weapons charge that didn't exist at the time of the incident, so can't be charged because it was not retroactive. And then they had to dismiss that. And then the special prosecutor was also a sitting legislature. And so then you get the defense filing that you can't wield 
the legislative branch power and the judicial branch power at the same time, different than a defense attorney being a sitting legislature when it is the prosecutor because they are wielding a different power. So I cover that in other content. It's wild, the missteps that we've seen in this prosecution. And we've seen Baldwin's attorneys capitalize on that at every single turn. And of course they're going to. That's literally what they're getting paid the big bucks for. And then we've seen the prosecutors kind of take shots at that saying, this isn't about lining the pockets of these big city lawyers. I don't know. It's the opposite of I'm just a country lawyer. But these lawyers are doing their job. And the prosecutors again and again and again seem to have dropped the ball on this one. I'm very curious how this goes forward at preliminary hearing. I hope that the Gutierrez-Reed preliminary hearing will be streamed in August because I'm very interested in what evidence they will put forward and how long they anticipate that preliminary hearing to be. We're going to go and look at some of the other statements that have been made about these charges being dropped. But first, a word from our sponsor. We are getting into summertime, or at least it feels that way around here. And that means everyone's going to be home a bit more. And I feel like my days are a constant cycle of making food and cleaning up food. But at least now I'm not going to be battling with a stinky trash can because all of our food scraps go directly into our Lomi to turn those scraps into compost dirt very quickly and without stinking. And that is a huge win for me because while I want to be helpful to the environment and I want to make sure I compost for my yard, I don't want things to stink or attract critters. And that is what I love about the Lomi. Lomi is a countertop electronic composter that turns scraps into dirt in under four hours. And I can turn my family's food waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can keep my yard looking lovely, which is goals for me. So if you want to make a positive environmental impact or just make cleaning up your food waste so much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash Lawnerd and use promo code Lawnerd to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash Lawnerd and use promo code Lawnerd at checkout. Food waste is gross. Let Lomi save you a trip to the trash. Let's get back to today's episode. So even though criminal charges against Baldwin have been dropped at the moment, again, it doesn't mean they won't be refiled somewhere down the line when the additional forensic investigation happens. Like, I just need more of an explanation on all of this. But there are still a boatload of civil cases going on Again, I will be linking down below all the civil cases I've covered. There's the one from Mamie Mitchell that started it, Mamie Mitchell being represented by Gloria Allred. And now there is a second Allred lawsuit on behalf of Helena Hutchins' mother, father, and siblings. So in in charges being dropped, Gloria Allred made sure to let the media know that Helena Hutchins' family. And in this context, when we talk about Helena Hutchins' family, we are not talking about the wrongful death lawsuit brought by her husband and her child. This is the lawsuit brought by mom, dad, siblings, which is an interesting lawsuit to start with. I don't know how this lawsuit is going to fly because, well, you're going to have to go see my episode covering this lawsuit. (laughs) 
there's, I have a lot of questions about whether these causes of actions can be brought as to the parents. And it will be interesting to see how it goes. Gloria Allred um, gave a statement to Insider saying, quote, of Baldwin, he can run to Montana and pretend that he is just an actor in a Wild West movie. But in real life, he cannot escape from the fact that he had a major role in a tragedy which had real-life consequences for Helena, her mother, father, sister, and co-worker, Allred said in her statement. The statement continued saying, quote, we look forward to seeing Alec Baldwin in court where a jury will decide if Alec Baldwin is just a movie star or a defendant who should be held accountable for the tragic death of Helena Hutchins. So Gloria Allred is still going in. I don't know how far the civil suit for Helena Hutchins' family will get. But the wrongful death suit is still not done yet. They are still doing, um, uh, well, a bunch of the behind-the-scenes paperwork on getting these settlements approved. And it looks like not everyone has signed off on the settlements being approved. And so there's a lot going on in court still with regard to the wrongful death case that was announced to be settled, oh God, months and months and months ago when it was announced that Rust is going to resume filming and that Helena Hutchins' husband would be brought in as a producer onto that film. But those lawsuits aren't done. And then we have the script supervisor lawsuit and others. We also have the lawsuit still going on between Hannah Gutierrez-Reed and the prop house, and that civil suit is still making its way through the court in New Mexico. So even though as to this criminal filing against Baldwin, it is done for now. I guess we'll see if it revives um, or is refiled. There are still so many civil lawsuits. And with that, we need to take a look at the fact that Rust is resuming filming, which is absolutely wild to me. It, why? Because I told you in the beginning why. It's so wild. I, I have to know what you think of this. So we're going to be looking at two articles detailing the resuming of filming on the Rust set, what safety measures are being put into place, who has been hired, and who is going to be on set. And this is coming from Deadline, saying Alec Baldwin's Rust restarts production in Montana. Officers added to film after fatal 2021 shooting. This is from April 21st, 2023. It's odd to me. Maybe it's me. It's odd to me that the prosecution of this case gets dropped right as filming is resuming. It's just such a strange coincidence for me that these things are coinciding on like the same day. How it's it's so weird to me. Call it a coincidence, but the production resumes on the Western just as the state of New Mexico officially drops involuntary manslaughter charges against the producer and star Alec Baldwin. Oh, Emily, keep reading. The deadline reporters are thinking the same thing you are. Wow, this is weird. The production has touted the uh addition of new crew members, including safety officers Gary Jensen and Paul Jordan. Remember. The head of safety was Dave Halls, uh, who I imagine is no longer involved with this project at all because uh, Dave Halls can't really have contact with Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who's probably not involved with this. But now the charges have been dropped against Baldwin, could probably have contact with Baldwin, but can't have contact with any witnesses, which is going to be the rest of the people on set. So 
I can't imagine Dave Halls could be involved in this while on probation. Um, so EPLP Stephanie um, Maracino, who is coming from Jack Ryan, and production designer Christine Brandt, and it says card counter after that, uh, which seems to be a production that I'm not familiar with. Returning Rust filmmaker Joel Souza, who was injured in the shoulder from the discharged prop gun that Baldwin was holding back in, in October 2021. It's so weird when they call it a prop gun. I know that it's distancing language, but it's it's a gun that was being used as a prop. And Joel Souza's statement was, quote, though bittersweet, I am grateful that a brilliant and dedicated new production team is joining former cast and crew to complete what Helena and I started. My every effort on this film will be devoted to honoring Helena's legacy and making her proud. The beauty of Montana surpasses words and the warm hospitality and kindness extended by everyone I've met has been both humbling and inspiring. It is a privilege to work alongside such great partners as we see this through on Helena's behalf. Per the Rust Movie Productions attorney, which was mentioned in today's press release that she expects production to wrap at the end of May. The production will continue to utilize union crew members and will bar any use of working weapons and any form of ammunition. Good. At least, at least that question is answered. At least that question is answered. Any use of working weapons will be barred on set. I bet you that this is not just a safety precaution, that this is also a insurance provision. Because how did they get insured to resume filming on this set? I imagine the list to get insured to film this was lengthy. Um, and they needed to bring in everyone they brought in to actually get this film underway. Because if you're the insurance carrier and you see all the lawsuits that are already going on, who's insuring this without saying, okay, but here's the safety team we went in place. No weapons. Everything's going to have to be done in post with uh, CGI. And that's that's the hard stop if you're going to actually resume filming this. We're going to get to the rest of the statements in just a minute, but we need to thank the final sponsor for this episode. It is time for a spring refresh from the inside to the outside of your home and, you know, even my hair. It was time. But with Jenny Kane Home, you can refresh in timeless, ultra-cozy pieces which is what I want all year round. Shopping for home decor can be stressful and time-consuming, but at Jenny Kane, everything has the elevated style and quality that you've been looking for, so you know it's going to be a great fit in your home. They have everything from throws and pillows to beds and nightstands. Jenny Kane's products are always worth the investment and are truly built to last forever. I had to steal back this incredible blanket because I couldn't let the cats try to take it over. So now it's a battle for my office blanket, but I absolutely love this Jenny Kane blanket. And right now you can get 15% off your first order. So get ready to turn your home into the oasis where you want to spend all of your time. Find your forever pieces at jennykane.com and get 15% off your first order when you use code LAWNERD. That's J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com and use code LAWNARD for 15% off your first order. Let's get back to today's episode. So the legal statement from the attorney for the film said that there will be no working weapons and no ammunition. It goes on to say live ammunition is and always was prohibited on set 
Each and every one of us is wholeheartedly dedicated to realizing Helena's vision and paying tribute to her artistry. Again, I, I, I don't know. I do not work in the film industry. I would love for you to tell me if this doesn't feel weird to you, if this feels like the proper way to honor a legacy. Please let me know uh, your thoughts in the comments. I, I really do want to hear from you on this. And when I put the episode up on YouTube, I will absolutely run a poll and, and see how this feels to you about it being redone. The log line for the picture written by Sousa based on a story developed by the director and Baldwin reads, quote, a 13-year-old boy left a fend for himself and his younger brother following the death of their parents in 1880s Kansas is taken on a violent, harrowing journey to old Mexico by his long-estranged grandfather after he's sentenced to hang for the accidental killing of a local rancher. Just in case any of you had forgotten that this movie is actually about someone who's sentenced because of an accidental killing, just in case we needed to bring it all back round that that is the plot of this movie. Goes on to say that Patrick Scott McDermott from Chicago Med and Southside is now playing the role of Lucas Hollister in the film. And then it goes on to say that Hutchins' widower, Matthew Hutchins, is an EP on the revived feature as well as documentary about his late cinematographer wife. So it seems like now there is also a um, second project in the works that Matthew Hutchins is attached to, which is a documentary about Helena Hutchins. It goes on to say that that was part of Hutchins' legal settlement with Russ producers. And that's new information to me. I have seen everywhere that Hutchins would be an EP on Rust, but I had not seen it reported anywhere that Hutchins is also going to be an EP on a documentary about Helena Hutchins. That's going to be very interesting to see. It goes on to say that directors Rachel uh, Mason and producer Julie Metz are working on the documentary. Both Mason and Metz were close friends with Hutchins Terrence Malick's producer, Grant Hill, is overseeing production on Rust 2.0. It says cinematographer Bianca Celine is completing the production, which Hutchins began. She will donate her salary to charity in honor of Helena. And then it says that original crew members returning to complete the film alongside Sousa include Alan Graff, uh, Therese Davis, and Anna Williams. It doesn't say anything about what other actors are resuming filming and whether their roles had wrapped or not. But it looks like they're only picking this up for about a month of additional filming, which will be interesting since it seems like a large part of the production was already filmed. And now they are switching not only the location where it's being filmed, but how it's being filmed. We're going to look at one more article about um, Rust being resumed at the Yellowstone Film Ranch in New Mexico. And this one is coming from The Hollywood Reporter. Alec Baldwin has returned to the set of Rust to wrap up shooting the movie after New Mexico prosecutors dropped involuntary manslaughter charges against him. He was going to go anyway. And then it says, at least for now, in the 2021 fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Filming on the low-budget Western resumed last week at Yellowstone Film Ranch in Montana. In an Instagram post on Monday, Baldwin confirmed that he was on set, quote, now outside of Bozeman to complete Rust, he said. Montana is stunning. Um. I can agree that everyone I know has said Montana is stunning and it's on the list. Like Montana is big time on the list 
of like, Emily just wants to run away and be in nature for a few days. Montana is on the list. Production is expected to be completed by the end of May. The article goes on to say that prior to clearing its members for work on the production, the DGA, Directors Guild of America, said in a statement that the group insisted upon extensive additional safety requirements, including dedicated safety personnel to assess risk and be present on set throughout the production. The Guild stressed that only once these conditions were met did we allow our members to work on the project. So now we're getting into the statements made by the Directors Guild of America and by SAG-AFTRA. These are the unions that are intended to protect those working on set and their rights and their working conditions. SAG-AFTRA said in a statement that it has tentatively safety cleared rust and underscored additional safety requirements on set, like the production barring live ammunition and weapons capable of firing ammunition of any kind, as well as the presence of union field representative making regular visits to the production. A spokesperson for the union added, quote, two highly regarded industry safety veterans, one longtime stunt coordinator, are overseeing all aspects of safety as set safety supervisors and will be on location throughout and available to us as necessary. What's interesting is from the two articles, we get a very different take, right? The lawyers for the film are like, look at all the things we're doing. And the union is like, look at what we've required you to do. Look at what we've made you do. So when I was saying, I don't think all these uh, precautions that they're taking are necessarily just them going, what's everything we can do to make this set safe? These were demands put upon the set to allow filming to resume. Is it more of a distinction without a difference? Does it matter whether they did these things voluntarily or were required to? Not necessarily, but it's interesting for me to see from the Hollywood Reporter article to the Deadline article, how it's presented as to who's behind these uh, requirements. And again, I'm sure insurance is also behind requirements. But of course, SAG is going to have to say, you need to do certain things. And same with the Directors Guild. Their job is to protect their members and to allow members to film. I imagine they had a lot of questions and concerns. The end of this article then summarizes that during a hearing on Friday, and that would have been Friday, April 21st, that the armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, they say who loaded the gun that Baldwin was holding when it discharged and was responsible for weapons and ammunition for the production. The judge overseeing the case pushed back the preliminary hearing to August 9th to allow prosecutors to subpoena additional witnesses. That's a real long time. It's a real long time to subpoena additional witnesses for that August 9th preliminary hearing date. But if it's streamed, I'll be covering it. I have a lot of questions. I still want to know, did Hannah Gutierrez read load the weapon that was in Alec Baldwin's hand because there are conflicting reports about whether she loaded it or about whether uh, Dave Hulls put something in it. And when he checked it, he thought some of the rounds looked wonky. She said that some of the rounds looked wonky. I have a lot of questions about how this all went down still. And the big one that still has not been answered anywhere, and I don't know if the additional forensic work is going to help, how did live rounds make it onto this movie set? How? We've seen the prop house cleared of wrongdoing and the prosecutors saying that when they did a chemical analysis, I mean, not the prosecutors, obviously the scientists, the crime lab, but when they did a chemical analysis of the different bullets recovered from the prop house and recovered from the set, they were chemically different gunpowder. 
So they're like, these, these bullets did not come from that prop house. So where did they come from? Did Hannah Gutierrez Reed bring those on set? Did she bring any of her own ammunition on set as the armorer? Who else would have? Who else would have had access to? I still have a lot of questions about this. I don't think we're done with criminal charges for Baldwin. I think there will be nine press releases before they refile charges, if they choose to refile charges. And I'm going to be keeping an eye on it. Are you invested in this one? You're going to have to let me know if you're still deeply invested. And because I want to hear from you, I also asked our members who get to be in the behind the scenes recording of the podcast if they had any questions. So I'm going to look at a few of the questions from our members and answer those right now. If you're interested in becoming a member, you can do so on my YouTube channel or at lawnardsunite.com. Mickey Bond in the chat asked, can the family go after proceeds from the movie uh, ever being made on the civil level? It seems that proceeds from the movie are a part of the settlement of the wrongful death case. Even if they hadn't been a part of the settlement for the wrongful death case, there would have been ways for them to try to go after that because a wrongful death lawsuit was always going to happen. And part of that might be paid out by insurance. Part of that could be paid out from proceeds. And it seems that they took that into consideration when settling that wrongful death lawsuit as the producers of the movie. There are still parts of that lawsuit ongoing. Victor Mann said, why didn't they do all their research before bringing charges? It's not like this happened yesterday. It's a fantastic point. They had over a year before they brought charges, which is why I have so many questions about what could have possibly come up that required more forensic analysis. They had months and months and months where the weapons were with the FBI for forensic analysis. And then from the time that we heard that the FBI report was completed and turned over to law enforcement in New Mexico, it was months and months again until charges were brought. They weren't on a time crunch for statute of limitations, so I don't know why they brought it before they were all the way ready, or maybe this is a difference of prosecutors, that the first special prosecutor was like, yeah, we're ready to go, and then they brought in the additional special prosecutors, and they were like, no way, this case is not ready to go to prelim. This is not an easy case. These are not easy charges to bring because it has to do with an accident and what level that accident was foreseeable and then who's responsible for it. It also doesn't help when we saw that plea hearing that I covered on YouTube with Dave Halls, that they were talking about Dave Halls being the last line of defense. It's what the prosecutor said on the record. Dave Halls was the last line of defense to protect Helena Hutchins. And he's the one that gave the gun to Baldwin. So if Dave Halls is the last line of defense, how do you backtrack that to go into court and argue that Baldwin could have stopped this and what he should have done? I mean, not pulling the trigger, clearly. But what was going on with this weapon is still a big question. Wendy E. asked, will you be covering the Rust hearing with just Hannah Gutierrez? Read, yes, we're all invested. Unless y'all tell me you're not interested, I intend to. Lawnard Amber asked also, why doesn't the buck stop with the producer? And that is what they are trying to argue in this preliminary hearing or would have been arguing in this preliminary hearing against Baldwin, that he's not just an actor, he's also responsible as a producer. And they had made clear that they were bringing it under two theories of liability. Generally, that type of liability only flows in civil cases you're generally not going to get a producer brought in if their hand is not on the weapon like this unless they had some other um, 
really active participation that allowed this to happen. These are not super common charges in this situation. This situation is very unique in that somebody is killed on a movie set. It should never have happened. All of the safety precautions seem to have failed here. And it was and is still such a tragedy without a lot of answers as to how it happened. Obviously, a bullet got into the gun and the gun got fired. That's but how? How did a bullet get into the gun? How did a bullet get onto set? How did it get to the point where it's being um where the the trigger is being pulled and pointed at a person? So Yes, they were going to prosecute Baldwin under two theories. A, he has the gun in his hand. B, he's a producer and all the safety measures weren't weren't being adhered to. He's being sued civilly in all the different lawsuits about, you know, him as a producer and being sued that way in most of them. The thing is, he's also in mediation with the movie production saying, look, if I'm in trouble as an actor, I'm indemnified by you and same as a producer. So we've got a long way to go. This is years and years and years of civil litigation, and it's going to be years and years and years of civil litigation. We'll see what happens in the months to come and if prosecutors bring charges again. They can, they just might not. And I want to know how you feel about that. Do you do you see the side of this is a really difficult case to prosecute against him because he's an actor? Or is it, you know what, he's really the last line of defense. If he doesn't have this weapon pointed at Helena Hutchins, none of this happens. Shouldn't he be the one held most responsible here because he's the one that had the weapon in his hand? I want to know your thoughts on all of it. But for now, I'm going to say thank you for being here. Thank you for being a honored. I know this was a little little bit of a shorter one-topic episode, but sometimes we just got to cover the news as it's happening and break it down. Hopefully that helped and you don't have any lingering questions. If you do, drop them in the chat over on the YouTube video. And again, thank you for all of your wonderful reviews on the podcast. I see them all and I appreciate you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. I can't believe it's the end of April. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your family be well. May the odds be ever in your favor. And I will talk to you in the next one. You can find more Law Nerd goodness in our private Law Nerd community over at lawnerdsunite.com. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time over on the Quick Bits podcast and Quick Bits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a Law Nerd.